Well, uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Jordan, and I have the privilege of being one of the assistant pastors here at uh, Meadowbrook. And specifically, I get to work with C20, a few whoops, which is our college and 20-somethings ministry here at Meadowbrook. Uh, Before we jump in, I want to thank uh, Pastor Tim and Miss Alicia for uh, the opportunity to be up here with you. It is a uh, joy to be with you guys. Now, I know many of you don't know me, so I wanted to kind of introduce you to my uh, family. Uh, I am married to the beautiful, wonderful Miss Carissa Vale. Here's actually a picture of her. If we can throw that up there. Yeah, that was, uh, that was us on our wedding a couple years ago. She looks beautiful. And that is also me 15 pounds ago. Uh, for some reason, it comes on a lot easier than it comes off. Uh, <laughs> we don't have any kids yet, uh, but we do have a puppy who uh, my wife calls our baby dog. Uh, if we want to put up that picture of our puppy. Uh, yeah, his, his name is Baxter. We did not stage that. He legitimately does that. Uh, I never really saw myself as a uh, tiny dog person. And uh, Baxter is three pounds soaking wet. <laughs> so he's a, he's a tiny guy. I used to always make fun of tiny dogs. And I imagine God going, oh, you think that's funny? You think, you think tiny dogs are funny? And uh, obviously you see how uh, that went. And I'm amazed, I'm amazed at the destruction that this little guy can cause. Uh, last week we come home and I, I'm finishing up seminary and I had this big Old Testament map I had to memorize. And he chewed through my map. So now I've got to explain to my professor no, my dog really did eat my homework. Uh, hopefully he doesn't ask what kind of dog it was. Uh, but the moral of that story um, is be careful of making fun of tiny dogs because you could end up with one in your Christmas stocking. Well, I'm, I'm very excited to be uh, preaching tonight. Uh, this word has been burning in me the past couple of days. So let's, uh, let's jump into the message tonight. Have you ever done something and after it happens... All you could think was, what was I thinking? Or maybe someone else looked at you and said, what were you thinking? If we're honest, we've all had moments like this. And if we're honest, all of us have done dumb stuff. Who's done something dumb? Who's done something really dumb? Both my hands are going up. Yeah, there there are moments in life where uh, we forget where we are what we're doing. There are moments where we uh, crack, where we slip. Maybe we felt pressured. I've, I know any time that a bunch of guys are cheering you to do something, it's probably a good idea uh, not to do it. And so recently I was reflecting on some of my what was I thinking moments. And it got me curious about other people's moments. So I went around the church staff and I asked them, what were some of your what was I thinking moments? Now, what I want to do tonight is I want to share um, some of my favorite ones with you. Um, But it's going to require a little participation on your part. I'm sorry, my uh, little thing isn't staying on there. All right, there we go. Um, It's going to require a little participation on your part. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go like this. And when I do that, at the end of each story, I want you to say with some gusto, what were they thinking? Let's try it. What were they thinking? We don't even need to do it twice. You guys nailed it. All right, the first person I asked, and I, I love this story. This is wonderful. Her what-was-she-thinking moment happened when she was in high school. Uh, she played volleyball at Vanguard. Any knights in the house? 
the nights are quiet. Their nights are quiet. Uh, she played uh, a volleyball at Vanguard, and they were playing their arch nemesis, uh, Florida State. Uh, that was a joke. They're playing uh, Forest. Forest, if you didn't grow up in Ocala, is the arch nemesis of um, Vanguard. And so they're in the midst of this heated game. Now, you could win any game during, you can lose to any game during the season, but you don't want to lose to your rival. That's the one game. If we're going to win one game this season, we want to win against our rival. So they're in the midst of the game, and it's intense. Okay, things are going back and forth. And in the heat of the moment, one of her teammates misses her dig. And this girl turns at her and yells at her. If you're a football fan, she goes Des Bryant on this teammate. Now, here's what makes this so funny. Uh, First, this is like the last person in the world you would ever expect to yell at somebody else. And secondly, it was one of those moments where when it happened, everyone just like froze and looked right at her. Uh, another one of my favorites involves a really close friend of mine. Uh, he was playing basketball when he was a kid, and he decided he wanted to dunk it like Shaq. So you can probably guess where this is going. He climbs up the netting, and he's holding on to um, the rim, and then he bites down onto the net. Yeah, that I don't know is correct. He ends up slipping. His two front teeth fall out, and... Here's, here's, the fun, here's the funny part. Um, he goes to his friend. He's not panicking. He's like, quick, go grab a rag. Okay, so his friend goes to get a rag. Well, his friend's dad was a mechanic. So he comes back with like this oil-soaked rag. Uh, this next one is wonderful. This is the uh, last one. It's my favorite one. And this happened when this person was in high school, uh, which is funny because it seems like every single one happens when they're in high school. What are the odds of that. And this person was invited to a party in the woods. Anytime you're invited to a party in the woods, just say no. Just say no. So it's late at night. It's like at 11. And she's invited to a party in the woods. And so she heads out there. Uh, she's alone. Uh, and then she starts heading off into the woods, miles away from anything. Kind of sounds like the start of a horror movie. <laughs> but she heads off there and she ends up going down a, a wrong road. There's no lights, no payphones, nothing, and she gets stuck in the sand. (laughs) She told me that she wasn't a believer yet, but that night she learned how to pray. (laughs) And so she ends up having to uh, call her mom. A tow truck comes out. The tow truck almost gets stuck. And I love this. My favorite part at the end, they, they pull back to her house, and her mom looks at her and says, let's not tell your father about this. Now, we could go on and on about experiences that we've all had, these what-were-we-thinking moments. And what I want to do tonight is I want us to talk about what it means to think well. Thinking is one of the most primary things we do. Therefore, it's one of the most important things that we do. And tonight, I want us to um, ask a question. And the question is this. What does it look like for you and I to think like Jesus. What does it look like for you and I to think like Jesus? Um, If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Mark, uh, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. That is Mark uh, 4, uh, 35 through 41. Uh, We encourage you to uh, take notes, uh, not because there will be a test at the end of tonight, thankfully, 
But notes are a way to really remember what it is that God is um, speaking to you. If you are taking notes, the title of my message tonight is Think Bigger Than the Boat. Think Bigger Than the Boat. You and I are constantly thinking. Uh, There's always things that are going on in our mind. Even right now, we're thinking about something. Hopefully, we're thinking about what I'm saying and not what you're going to have for dinner or all the Christmas shopping that you still have left. But we're always thinking. It's part of what it means to be human. And this idea of thinking is a big idea. And there's a lot we could talk about when it comes to thinking. There's also a lot we could talk about in regards to thinking like Jesus. But tonight, I want to focus on one thing. I have one point for tonight, and my one point is this. Think bigger than the boat. And this will all make sense as we move through our text tonight. So let's look at our text. We're actually going to divide this up into three parts, uh, looking first at verses 35 and 36. And so it says this. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. Now, for us to understand this uh, passage, it'll be helpful for us to put the story in context. It says that on that day, on that day. So what's special about this day? Why would it say on that day? Well, this is a big ministry day for Jesus. Um, The text goes on to say that it's probably evening, so somewhere between seven or eight. And all day long, Jesus has been preaching and teaching. Now, preaching is a labor. Many people may not think that. How hard is it to uh, get up in front of people and talk for 30 minutes? But preaching is difficult. Think back to when you had to do a uh, speech in high school or a big work presentation. There's a lot that goes into preaching. And preaching is also an activity that drains all of your tanks. We all have tanks. We have physical tanks. When we're tired, we haven't slept or eaten, we may say, my physical tank is on empty. We also have emotional tanks. If we uh, get in a fight with a spouse or a friend or a son, we may say, my emotional tank is empty. We have mental tanks. If you've ever studied all week and you feel like you're just brain fried, our mental tank is empty. And lastly, we have spiritual tanks. If we haven't spent enough time with God or maybe we were helping someone through a, a tragedy, we may feel like our spiritual tank is on empty. And most activities in life will drain one or two tanks at a time. But preaching is an activity that will drain every single tank you have. Preaching is not a cruise control activity. Uh, When you preach, you're burning through your spiritual, your emotional, your mental, and your physical tanks. This is why pastors, they'll often take off Mondays, because they're trying to what? They're trying to restore um, their tanks. I can't tell you how many pastors who have four to six services a day, they end up with ulcers or high blood pressure. Because although preaching is beautiful, it's a joy, it's a labor, and it's hard work. And I think it's phenomenal that Pastor Tim preaches three times a day, or three times on Sunday. There's been times where I've sat through all three, and it just gets better and better and better. But it's still wearing you down. And it's an activity that will drain every single tank you have. Because when you preach, and you're pouring everything you have into it. You've been praying all day. You've been seeking God. You've been internalizing your majesty. And when you get up there, man, you're going on all cylinders and you're ready to give everything you have. You would also be shocked at the number of calories that you burn while preaching. Uh, I had no idea until recently, uh, but when you preach, you actually burn hundreds of calories. 
I know one pastor, he had it measured. He preaches about four times on a Sunday, and he literally burned 1,000 calories. Now, this varies based on your denomination. If you're a Presbyterian, you'll burn like 100. But if you're a Pentecostal, you're going to be burning like 1,000. Um, so if you're looking to lose weight, forget about CrossFit or the paleo diet. Become a preacher. Now, I can't fully explain it, but there's no activity that I've ever participated in that will drain you in the way that preaching can. And here's why I share that. Because this gives us some context for Jesus. He's been preaching all day from seven in the morning till seven at night. So he's exhausted. And this is going to be very important for us to recognize as we move into the rest of our story. Now, the text says that it's evening, probably seven or eight, similar to the time right now. And the crowds are pulling on him. The crowds are wanting more, but he has nothing left. His tanks are empty. So he needs to rest. And what they do is they get in a boat and they prepare to go to the other side. And they put their boat into the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is a very um, significant sea. It often pops up in the Gospels. And the Sea of Galilee is not a small body of water. Um, it's about uh, eight times the size of Lake Weir. So it's no Lake Erie, but it's, it's no joke either. And the boat they would have gotten into is not particularly big. If we can put a picture up of that boat, um, there it is. It's about 27 feet wide. Uh, but when you fit... 12 to 13 full-grown men in a boat like that, it's going to get cramped pretty quickly. And they probably didn't smell that great. So Jesus and his disciples get into a boat late at night. And I don't know about you, but there's something a little spooky about being in a boat late at night. Sometimes we read certain stories in in scripture and we can fail to see what's really going on sometimes we can read a story in scripture and we can breeze by it and we fail to see the incredible or even frightening thing that happens and as we move through the next part of this text i want us to imagine what it would have been like to be on the boat with jesus And so it says that they're in a boat late at night, going to the other side. And when they were out to sea, a great windstorm arose. And this sea is in a very interesting geographical place. You see, the sea lies 680 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by very high terrain. And what would happen is the cooler air would mass from the surrounding mountains and then collide and crash with the warm air in the sea basin. So winds would funnel through the valleys, rush down the hillside and onto the sea. And what compounded this was the fact that the sea was not very deep, only about 200 feet, which is relatively shallow for a sea, and a shallow lake is whipped up by wind more rapidly than deep water. And so this can quickly change the character of the sea. The problem for fishermen is that they never really knew when it would happen. One moment the sea was calm, And the next moment, there was a storm. And the text moves and says that the waves were breaking into the boat. Now, these waves are probably anywhere from 12 to 15 feet. And that may not seem like a lot, but when you're in a boat that's only six feet above the water, these waves are barreling over them. It's late at night, it's dark, and they have very little direction. 
And these men are scared for their lives. Now remember, there are disciples who are fishermen. They have sailed this sea thousands of times. We have to realize that if these veteran sailors, for them to react the way they did, this must have been an extraordinary storm. The storm is so bad that these veteran sailors are full of fear. And it's as the boat is filling with water, they see Jesus is asleep on a cushion. And so they wake him and say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus wakes up and rebukes the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And immediately, there was a great calm. Now in our eyes, the miracle would be that Jesus stopped the storm. But there's an even greater miracle at hand. The miracle is that it says there was a great calm. Think about this. The sea was calm. Normally, if a storm ceases, it'll take hours for it not to be choppy. But when Jesus says, peace be still, the sea acts as if nothing ever happens. And there are two nature miracles in the book of Mark. And they're important because they reveal to us Jesus' authority over the inanimate part of creation. That Jesus is not just Lord over man, but he is Lord over nature. Now, going back to the story, if, if we were on the boat, you and I would be consumed with one thought. The boat is going to sink. You and I would not be able to get that idea out of the mind. Just like the disciples in their mind, all they can think about is it's over. The boat is going to sink. They were full of fear. And after the storm, Jesus says this, starting in verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, what I want to highlight tonight in these verses is Jesus' first statement. He says this. He has two questions. Why are you so afraid? And have you still no faith? You see, to think like Jesus is to think bigger than the boat. The disciples couldn't take their mind off the boat. All they could see was it sinking. All they could see was it being rocked in the storm. Even with God in the boat, this is all they could see. And it's easy for us to look back and say we would not fear. We would have faith. Yet what I know is true of me and for most of us in here is that's not always the case. And it's because every single one of us in here have boats in our lives that at times we feel like are sinking. Boats that are being rocked and we can't take our eyes off the boat. The storm may be different, but the issue is the same. We're not thinking bigger than the boat. Now, there is so much we could talk about in this story. We could talk about Jesus' faith in, to calm the storm. We could talk about the lack of faith in disciples, the storms of life. But I want to focus on one thing. I want to talk about how Jesus thought in the midst of this storm and how this should shape our lives. Because what was Jesus doing in the midst of the storm? He was sleeping. He was sleeping because Jesus understood who was the ultimate Lord of the storm. Jesus understood something that is so basic and primal to our faith, but yet so easy to forget. And it's that God is bigger than the boat. And the idea that I want us to leave here tonight is very simple. It's to think like Jesus is to think bigger than the boat. And as we dive into this, this idea, I want us to think about three words. And those three words are reorientation, awareness, 
and perspective. Reorientation, awareness, and perspective. If we want to live in a way that we are thinking like Jesus, it's going to require some reorientation in our life. And this reorientation begins with taking our minds off the boat and putting them on God. You see, one of the biggest things that keeps you and I from thinking like Jesus is that you and I are too often focused on the boats in our lives. And the boats can be big and the boats can be small. But if we don't get our mind off the boat, then we're not moving into what God desires for us. For some of us, our boat is fear. It's fear of something that's going to happen or maybe something that happened in the past. What if it happens again? And we, we find ourselves often thinking about this fear. For some of us, our boat is unforgiveness. Someone hurt us years ago or even recently. And we find ourselves so often in our minds or even as we try to fall asleep at night thinking about how we've been hurt or how we've been damaged. For some of us on a smaller scale, maybe it's a, maybe it's a test. If you're a college student, it's finals week. Maybe there's something you're trying to work through. It's how am I going to pass this class or how am I going to pass that exam? For some of us around the holidays, it's bills. How am I going to make ends meet? How are we going to have enough for Christmas? For some of us, it may be discontentment of not being happy with where we're at in life, of of wanting more, of God, is this all that there is? And we find ourselves at work and at home constantly thinking about how we are not content with where we are. And then maybe for some of us, it's guilt. Something that we did, or maybe it's shame over something that somebody did to us. But regardless, there are small boats and, and, and big boats. But the key is, are we moving away from that? Or do we constantly find our minds returning to that little boat? And we could go on and on and make a list, and probably all of us have a list of things that we tend to think about, that we tend to, to dwell on. And not that it's all bad to think about these things. Well, what can happen is they tend to drive our emotions, or it can even be all we think about, and we become consumed with the boat. And to think like Jesus is going to require reorientation. We have to learn to release and embrace. And if we're going to reorient our thinking, it's going to require us to make an exchange. You see, too often what we do when we're thinking about a boat in our life too much is we try and distract ourselves. We try and focus on something else, but we never really release our hold on the boat. And as long as we're holding on to some boat, then you and I are not moving into the future. When I was in in college, um, uh, we went on, my friends asked me if I wanted to go on a hike. Now, when I was in elementary school and uh, High, uh, middle school, I grew up in California, so my version of a hike was a little different than a Florida version of a hike. Uh, but they said, hey, you want to go on a hike? And I'm like, sure. And we're, we're the mountains. Um, but anyway, we go on a hike, and we're going on all these trails, and we end up by a river. And he says, my friend, he says, um, let's climb up the top of the tree and jump in the river. What was he thinking? Um, but there were ladies present. So, of course, I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it, man. In my inside, I'm like, oh, God, no. Uh, so we, we start climbing the tree, and I'm, 
it, right now I'm nervous on the inside, right? And I, I start looking down, and I'm like, I don't know what's in that river. There could be snakes. Uh, there could be gators. Uh, I've come to the conclusion that anybody who's not from Florida uh, thinks there's a gator in every body of water. Like, watch out for that puddle. There could be a gator in there. <laughs> but anyway, I start climbing, and I, we get to the top, and it's like 25 feet above the water. And so what was on the inside, nervousness, is now on the outside. I'm kind of shaking, and uh, I now have a, a firm grip on the tree, okay? And my friend says, just let go. Just let go. The only problem is I have a kung fu grip on that branch. In fact, I'm surprised I'm not still stuck in that tree. I was holding on to that branch for dear life. So after about five minutes, literally five minutes, I finally got the courage. I released the branch and I jumped in. And to be honest, it was a thrill. Once I released the branch, I was able to embrace that experience. And in fact, after it happened, I almost wanted to do it again, except that it was freezing cold and it was winter. And though that is a simple illustration, this can be so true of us that we're holding so tight to our boat. We're afraid to let go. We're afraid of what happens if I stop thinking about this. I'm not consumed with this. What is going to happen in my life? Well, when we do that, we're not embracing what God has for us. Sometimes I hear people say, why isn't God doing things in my life? And the truth is, he is. But often we're so focused on the boat that we are missing out on the miracle. And so the question for us is, is there something that we're holding on to? Is there something we keep thinking about that we need to release so we can turn and embrace faith in God? Having faith is living expectantly. It's more than just believing a bunch of doctrines about God, but it means trusting our life to God. Living expectantly is the faith to let go of the tree, ready and willing to embrace whatever God has next. It's faith to realize that the boat you are worried about or concerned with is nothing compared to God because God is bigger than the boat. And so it's not going to be enough to just try and stop thinking about or distract ourselves from it. We have to come to a place where we are letting go and releasing whatever it is in our minds so that we can turn to have faith in God. To start to think like Jesus is to reorient our minds in a way that we are faith-focused rather than problem-focused, to move from fear to faith. And this reorientation is going to be constant. We have to constantly turn from worry, fear, anxiety, and back to a faith in God who is so much bigger and so much greater than the boat. And so the first thing we want to do is reorient our thinking. And when we do this, we become more aware One of Jesus's, I believe, greatest traits and one of the greatest traits that we can pursue is awareness. When we think like Jesus, we become more aware. Thinking bigger than the boat is thinking about others rather than always ourselves. For you and I, our our natural inclination is to think about ourselves. I mean, even as we've been been sitting there, you probably thought about, what are you going to do after this? We're going to go to Cracker Barrel, uh, do I need to run that errand? And so on. And it's okay. It's natural to think about ourselves. But the danger is when we become so consumed with that boat that we're not even aware of our surroundings. And to think like Jesus is to realize that every time you're with someone else, you have the opportunity to impact them for the better. Your words and your actions are powerful. And you don't have to be well-known or a prestigious person to have your words make an impact. 
And here's how I know that. If you go to Target tomorrow with the intent of buying one thing, but you buy 10 things, I believe Target is a trap for my money or my wife's money, one of those two. But if you go to Target with the intent of buying one thing and a stranger goes up to you and says, and gives you this wonderful compliment, that would make your morning. And you don't know that person. They don't hold any place in your life. Yet a simple compliment can bring us such joy. Now just imagine what it means from someone who does carry weight in your life. Our words can have such power. And if you follow Jesus around in the scriptures, he never misses an opportunity to encourage someone and to change the trajectory of their life. He does it with Zacchaeus. He does it with Mary Magdalene. He does it with the woman at the well. He does it with the disciples. We could go on and on and on. Jesus was always aware of his surroundings. And get this. He never missed a chance to leave someone better than they were before he came. Why? He was thinking bigger than the boat. One of the largest things that have shaped our lives are the words spoken over us. The words spoken over you and I have not rolled in one ear and then out the other, but they've rolled over us and made a permanent impression on our heart. To use an analogy, if you and I are clay, it's the words that have been spoken to us that have done a lot of the molding. Your words, coupled with your actions, are the most powerful thing you have. And if you're aware, you can do such good with your words. Every conversation you have, that's an opportunity. Every relationship you have, that is an opportunity. Every conflict you face with someone else, even that is an opportunity. It is an opportunity for you, for you to use your words to make an impact on someone else's life. But we have to be aware of them and aware of others. And the real key is we have to be thinking bigger than the boat. Which leads us to the last idea we want to look at. And that's the idea of perspective. To think like Jesus is to have a perspective that is bigger than ourselves and is bigger than any moment we find ourselves in. It's to have a perspective that's not just about thinking bigger than the boat today, but thinking bigger than the boat tomorrow. It's to have the perspective to see that what we think about matters because what we think about dictates who we are and who we are becoming. And ultimately, that defines what kind of impact you and I will have on other people. Your friends, your coworkers, your family need you to think bigger than the boat. A few years back, I had someone in my life who made a far greater impact on me than he will ever know because he was thinking bigger than the boat. When Carissa and I first got married, um, our first year was a challenge. Uh, we had many what you would call heated discussions. <laughs> Things got warm at times. Our first couple of months were really hard. And so if you get married and the first year is hard, don't sweat it. That can happen. But it was really tough for us. And at times it was kind of depressing because we're like, is this, this is what marriage is like? I remember one day I had off and Carissa was working. And my stepdad called me up and he said, let's get lunch. And what I didn't know is that that lunch was going to change my perspective on my marriage. We ended up going to Mimi's Cafe. Still remember the booth. Still remember the server. Still remember what I ordered. And I don't ever remember that stuff. I couldn't even tell you what I had for lunch yesterday. But 
such an impact was made on me that day. And we sat there for a couple of hours, and he poured into me on marriage, on the difference between men and women, on how to navigate things well. He even opened up about some of the struggles he's had and how I can bring encouragement from that. And over those couple of hours, a lot of my thoughts were changed on marriage. But you know what else? Even more than that, it gave me such hope. Something that may not stand out in his mind, I will never forget. Because he was thinking bigger than the boat. And I would wager to say that we have all had experiences like this in our life where someone else was aware, they stepped in at the right time, and they offered the exact encouragement that we needed. You and I, we have this opportunity every single day. The opportunity to make an impact on someone else's life. The opportunity to leave them better than before we came. But to do that, we have to think like Jesus. And we have to think bigger than the boat. Did y'all get anything out of this tonight?